Good morning again. My name is Jim. Uh, I'm lead pastor here at Journey, and if you're seeing this, uh, it's because we were, are in Snowmageddon, and there's a lot of snow outside, so to keep you safe and to keep all of our volunteers safe, we thought we'd give you the week off, but I didn't want to lose, uh, lose track on our series. We're concluding our series today called Resolution. Next week, we're launching a new series called 90. We're going to take 90 days, about 12 weeks, and walk through the life of Jesus leading up to Easter. Uh, we didn't want to have to prolong that start. So this week, I'm going to conclude the series. Hopefully, you're watching online with us and uh, becoming a part of it. We're going to wrap up this series called Resolution. If you've missed any part of this series, you can head over to our website, journeymain.com. You can watch part one and part two. You can watch this week's message. What we're asking everyone to do, including our small group leaders, is to take time with your small group to walk through these questions. Head over to our website, journeymain.com. Click on today's message, and you'll see some discussion questions and some thoughts about the service that you can answer with your small group. I really do believe this is the, the best way to, for us to start the new year, uh, to, to, to be thinking about um, how to make this year the best year we've ever had. So when we come into the new year, oftentimes we come into the new year, and, and our thoughts kind of focus around this. Our, our thoughts all kind of focus around self-improvement, right? Because at the beginning of the, of, of the new year, it, it's, it's all about the, these uh, resolutions. What, what, what do I change about me? How do I become the best me? Really, we, we kind of look at the, the question, and we, the question we try to answer is this. What do I do about me? Right? How do I become the skinniest me, the most financially uh, established version of me, the healthiest me? All of these questions revolve around me, 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 me. What do I, how do I make this year, uh, in essence, more about me? And, and really, even though that's a good question, and we, we probably should lose some weight, we should get out of debt, we should stop paying things off with, with our credit card and just racking it up, we should be a little more, bit more considerate about um, who we want to be in the world and what changes we can make. Really, I think there's a, a bigger, a better, and a broader question, and that's what we've been trying to tackle with this series. And that question is simply this, what needs to be done around me? Not so much what needs to be done in me, not, need, not what needs to be done through me this year, not about making me a better me, but, but when we consider ourselves, what needs to be done around me? <clears throat> whether, whether you look around and you see your neighborhood, you look around and maybe you see it in your community, maybe you look around and you see it in our country or across the world, we're really, we want to kind of broaden our vision to think, what needs to be done around me? And, and I may not be able to change the whole world, but I may be able to change a slice of the world. I may be able to change somebody's world in particular. What needs to be done around me? So part one, we, uh, we dove into the book of Nehemiah, and, and we through this incredible story in Nehemiah chapter one, we presented you with another question, and that's this. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? And if you want to know what to do, if you want to know how to make this year not about you, uh, you've got to think through this idea of what breaks your heart. The truth is, as parents, we're going to take care of our kids. As people, we're going to love our family. We're going to love our grandkids. But, but think a little bit outside of that group. What breaks your heart outside of that group? What breaks your heart? Some of us always find things that are disturbing. We find things that are disturbing on TV. We, we see things that are disturbing in, in our communities and in our neighborhoods. So, something pops up on the news and it disturbs us. And, and oftentimes we hear it and it's like, wow, that's terrible. Click, and we change the channel. Wow, I wish that didn't happen. Click, and we kind of move on. Wow, somebody really needs to do something about that. I hope somebody's paying attention. Click. But we don't do anything. Every once in a while, though, something kind of pops up. And this is what we're praying for for you. It's what we're praying for for all of us who call Journey home. 
something pops up and it's just so disturbing and it just kind of captures our heart, it captures our emotion. We, we, we don't turn away from it. We, we hear it and, and, and it just causes us to think on it and dwell on it. And that's kind of the disturbing part is that once we think about it, it's really hard to get our, our minds off of it, but it, it disturbs us a little bit. It, it, it kind of creeps up and, and, it, and it's that thing that we just can't turn away from. We, we see it in the news and then we research for hours online and we read that article twice and, and, and we're just hungry for more information because it, it really captures our heart. Something needs to be done. Somebody needs to make a change. Somebody has to do something about that. The question we have to look at is why does this bother me? Why does this bother me so much? Perhaps that's the very thing that God's been trying to use to get your attention. Perhaps that is what breaks your heart. And as you've discovered, or you're beginning to discover, the answer to this question, what breaks our heart, the problem with this question, this is kind of what we talked a little bit about last week, the problem with this question, once we find an answer, once we're discovering an answer for what breaks our heart, is that it leads us to a little bit of an uncomfortable place because if it breaks my heart and I got to do something about it, that doing something, it might cost me something. It might cost me some time. It might cost me to miss some opportunities. It might cost me to give up some of the things I value most. It might even cost me to perhaps turn away or pull away from my family. It might cost me to spend a little bit time, a little bit less time with my family. Ultimately, it, it, I'm going to have to change my life because ultimately that's what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you some life. And as we said by, last week, we said last week, we're, we're, all, we're all this, right? We're all life preservers. We're all in it to preserve life. We're all in it to save life. <clears throat> but then Jesus comes along. And as we said last week, Jesus taught us this, that whoever devotes themselves to themselves will have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. That whoever wakes up, and I know this is a little bit disturbing for us, but whoever kind of decides that, 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 that life's all about me and I'm the means to an end and I live the perfect life and I'm in the best shape and I have the perfect schedule and I'm raising great kids and, and, and you know, my husband loves me or my wife loves me, whatever it is, it, when we wake up and we kind of think that, that really it's all about me, We've devoted ourselves to ourselves in an effort to save ourselves, to have the life we want. But at the end of it all, we have nothing but ourselves to show for it. And I think there's a better way to look at this. I think that if we can take our eyes off ourselves for a moment and begin to answer this question, what breaks our heart? What captures our attention? I think that will move us in a direction beyond ourselves, outside of ourselves, to really think what can be done around me. Now, most of the things we've said throughout this series, most of the things we've said really aren't, aren't Christian things. They're not religious things. These are just kind of, these are kind of people things. These are things that anyone can do. There are, are, are phenomenal things that have been done all throughout history, all throughout the world by people who don't associate with any, with any religion in particular. They just woke up and something broke their heart and they decided to do something about that. There are phenomenal things with families and, and children and finances and world events, whatever it might be, that people without any religion has done. So up until this point, you can agree. This isn't, this isn't a Christian thing. This isn't a religious thing. This is just a people thing. But today, we want to take a little step farther. Today, we want to talk specifically to the Christians. And, and if you're not a Christian, I think this is a wonderful opportunity for you to kind of look in on Christianity and look in on what we're doing. Uh, because my guess is, if you, maybe you haven't gone to church for a while, maybe you're watching today because you're at someone's house and they said, nope, you're going to sit down and watch this message for an hour, even though we're snowed in, you're going to church. 
whatever the case may be for you, if you've resisted church, if you've kind of resented church, my guess is throughout the message today, you're going to say, yep, Jim, that's it. That's it. That's the reason I stopped going. That's the reason I don't trust Christians. That's the reason I don't do business with Christians. That's the reason I, I, don't, I don't want my daughter to marry a Christian man. That, that is the very reason, Jim. You've hit it on the head. But if you are a Christian, what I'm hoping to do with today's message is to take you beyond the place of just sitting back and saying, that's not right, that should be done, something should do something about that, and my hope is to get you in the game. My hope is to motivate you enough to see, as we look at the scriptures, and as we look in particular at something that Jesus taught, and that the Apostle Paul reiterates, that as we look at it, it's not good enough to just believe. It's not good enough to just think something needs to be done. Sooner or later, if we're a Christian, if we call ourselves Jesus followers, sooner or later, we have to do something. We have have to get involved. We don't have a choice. If we follow Christ, Christ leads us to do something. We can't sit back. We can't sit on the sidelines. We can't wait for someone else. We need to be involved. In other words, if we're not careful, if we are so content to believe all the right things and think, you know what? I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe in the New Testament. I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe all the things that were taught to me when I was a kid. So me and God, we're good because I believe all the right things. But then you open up your Bibles, you open up the New Testament, and you begin to ask yourself, am I really following Jesus? And suddenly what you discover is that it's much more than just believing. See, now this is not a sermon or a message about how to become a Christian or even how to stay a Christian. This is about what it would look like if we decided, instead of simply categorically being a Christian, what if you stepped outside and actually decided to follow Jesus? What if you stepped outside your comfort zone? What if you stepped outside our own little world for a moment and we decided to follow Jesus? What would that look like? You see, Jesus taught us this, that believers are often content to believe something rather than do something. Believers are often more content to believe something. I believe, I believe, I believe, rather than actually do something and get involved. So I thought maybe, maybe we should quit calling ourselves believers and maybe we should start calling ourselves doers. And, and I wasn't the one to come up with that. There was another famous guy named James or, or Jim and the brother, uh, he was the brother of Jesus. He's in the Bible. He wrote a, a, an incredible book. He just reiterates what his brother Jesus said. And Jesus said this, if you hear these words of mine and don't do anything with them, you are like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the storms came, it all came tumbling down. Unfortunately, maybe this is just my past tradition, my faith traditional, but I grew up in, in a tradition that was very much like this. Some of you may have grown up in a tradition that was like this. Sometimes we are more content with simply making a point than making a difference. At Christians, we're really good at making points, aren't we? We're really good at kind of shaking our fingers at people. We're really good at shaking our fingers at culture. We're really good at shaking our fingers about all the wrong things that you're doing, all the wrong things in the world. And kids, don't, don't, ever, don't ever do that. And honey, don't ever do that. Point after point after point we make. But as we're about to discover, if all we do is make points and we don't make a difference, we're not really good Christians. So today I, I want to uh, take you to one of the most familiar passages in the entire New Testament. Uh, my guess is if you were married, 
Uh, some verses in this chapter showed up in your wedding. They tend to be all the ooey-gooey, lovey verses. Not the verses we're going to cover because these are kind of disturbing. We tend to leave those out. That's at the beginning of the chapter. We jump to the really good stuff. We're going to look uh, at chapter uh, 13 of 1 Corinthians. Corinthians, uh, rather, 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was the guy who, who, who took us from Judaism. He was kind of the one who, who initiated this. He took this from Judaism to Judaism. And if you don't know what that, what that means, that's just another way of saying he, he basically expounded what was Judaism into this new movement that Jesus saw or being, becoming a Christian or a Christ follower. And he moved it to the Gentiles. That's us. That's people who weren't Jewish by birth, who were set outside the faith. Paul took the faith essentially to us. He was this incredible man who met Jesus and whose life was forever changed and decided it's not good enough to simply believe, but that we need to do something. Here's why I am so in love with the New Testament and in love with Scripture and the Bible, because of what Paul did. Here's what Paul did. We're going to show you this picture. <clears throat> this happened all the way down here in Jerusalem. This is where Jesus was. This is where Jesus died. This is where the Apostle Paul met Jesus. And just a few years after Jesus died, just a few years, Christians started popping up all around here in Corinth and in Athens and Philippi in Rome in Thessalonica, all around the Mediterranean rim, Christians began to sprout up all because of the Apostle Paul. He took this faith, he heard the message, something broke his heart, and he decided it's not good enough to sit on it. I can't wait. I can't let just turn the channel and let somebody else deal with it. I've got to get involved. And Paul got involved. He got in a boat, a boat that we wouldn't have traveled much more than two or 300 yards off, off the coast of wherever we are. Paul took, got on that boat and traveled across the Mediterranean Sea and began preaching and began teaching people about the resurrection and about Jesus and about his plans for their life, that he came into the world to offer forgiveness for their sins, to pay their debt. And Christians and churches began to pop up all over the place. Well, in one of these places, this was Corinth, Paul started this church, and then he wrote a letter to this church to, to basically encourage them as they're going along, and that's where we get 1 Corinthians. This is the first letter that Paul wrote to the church. There's also a 2 Corinthians. That's another letter. There were other letters that were written, but they were kind of lost through time. So Paul, he writes them this letter to kind of encourage them. He writes them this letter to, to, to put some, some, some fire in their bones, to basically say it's not good enough for you to just believe. It's not good enough for you to just know. But you got to do something with what you know. you got to do something with what believe. If your faith is only about what you know, then he makes some very, very disturbing comments that we're going to look at in just a moment. But it's not good enough to just know. It's not good enough to just believe. We've got to do something. Paul would, would, would tell us this, you've got to put some motion in your devotion. Somebody should write a song about that. Like, like, look, Christian, it's not good enough to just believe. It's not good enough to just know. It's not good enough to just be correct. It's not, it's not good enough to just make a point. Because if that's all we do, we're missing it. Paul says this, and I, I'm going to read these words because they're much more disturbing than I could ever pretend. He says this in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love. If I were to speak in the tongue of men, and when he says if, if I, he's really talking about all of it. He's just kind of softening the blow. He, he just wants you to know I'm including myself in this, but this is really about you. This is really about me. This is about his first century audience. This is about Paul. This is about anybody who would identify themselves as a Christ follower. If I, if you, if me, if we, if all of us, if we were to speak in tongues, 
And when he's talking about tongues, that's the Greek word for languages. If I were to speak in languages, in other languages, in languages of people from all over the world, languages that I've never been taught, he just got done talking about all of these supernatural gifts and abilities that God had given us to perform his work in the world. That if God had given Paul this supernatural ability to speak in other languages, languages of men, languages of all these nations, without ever studying, without ever picking it up, I could just speak and they would hear their language that if God had given me that ability, which is an incredible ability, that if God had given me the ability to speak in the tongues of angels or this angelic language, and I know we're probably all thinking the same thing, but Paul, do angels have a language? He said, I don't know. But if they did and God gave me that language, if I had this incredible ability to speak in a language that, that nobody else knew, it was, the, it was the tongue of angels, the language of angels, or if I could speak in any language on earth, it just came to me by this incredible supernatural ability. But I do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He's saying, if I could do all these things, if I could speak these beautiful languages, if I could speak in that angelic language, if I were just, just that incredibly gifted with this supernatural gift to speak like that, but I don't have love, it's all just noise. It's all just noise. But oh, Paul, are you saying like that's not important? No, 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 no. I'm just saying that's not enough. I'm saying that if your faith simply ends there, it's noise. It's not enough. If I had the most inspiring prayer life, if I had the most connected to God kind of, kind of person on earth, if I just was just so incredibly connected that he enabled me to speak that way, but I didn't love, it's all just noise. To which he would say to us, because you might be able to do all these incredible things. But if there's no love for others, then it's all about me. If there's no love for someone else, then my religion, then my faith, then my Christianity becomes all about me. It becomes something very vertical. And Paul said, no, you got to get your eyes, you got to broaden your eyes. It's not just vertical. There, there's horizontal. If we don't love others, if, we don't, if we're not concerned about others, we're missing the point. So Paul, are you discounting devotion to God? Are you discounting that prayer life? Are you discounting speaking in tongues or in languages? Are you discounting speaking in the language of angels? He said, no, 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 that stuff is amazing. And if God does that with you, that's awesome but it's simply not enough. He goes on, and he says this, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, or, or in other words, he's saying, even if you're one of those Christians who's got it all figured out, right? You've got a verse for that. You know people's situations, people's stories. I've got a verse for that. I've got a verse for that. You're the guy who sits in church and leans over to his wife and he says, but I got a verse for that. And your wife leans over and says, yeah, the pastor probably has a verse for that too. You're the guy who, who when you say John 11, you think Lazarus. You, you just, you, you've got it. You're, you're the woman who has all the answers to all the questions that, that if anybody had, had any question at all about Bible or, or something that related to God or Jesus or that relationship or history. You just had the answer. You're the Bible answer woman. You're the Bible answer man. You just, you have all of that incredible knowledge that if you had all of that knowledge, if you had the gift of prophecy, if you can fathom all the mysteries of all the world and then you had all this knowledge, which is incredible. You're the person who's interested in maps and interested in theology. I mean, you just, you had it all. 
that if you grew up that way, and I didn't grow up that way. I, 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 leaned, I grew up in, in a, a different kind of church. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I was the people, the church I grew up in, there were the people that spoke in tongues and, 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 and you know, they, they spoke in, in these other languages and, and it was a little weird growing up. And, and, but these people on the other side who have the gift of prophecy and they have all this understanding, they have the answers. They think, they believe they're right. They know they're right. I have the answer. They look at us and they think, you're weird. You're interpreting that wrong. That's not what God meant. And we're saying, no, we're on the other side. You're speaking in all these languages. And they're on this side saying, no, no, you're wrong. We have the answer. You should trust us. We know what's good. We can fathom all the mysteries and have all the knowledge of the world. He says, now I'm not saying none of that's important. You should have that. You should be able to answer. You should know the scriptures. You should know about Jesus. You should know about faith. You should know about theology. I'm not discounting those things. But if that's where your faith ends, you've fallen short. He says, and if I have faith that can move mountains, and this is, this is the person that has that booming voice that is just so inspiring and so charismatic that you sit and you listen and you think whatever he says, that must have come from God. It's just, he is just so inspiring. He just has so much faith. He believes that he believes that he believes, and because he believes so strongly, I believe so strongly, I just, it's clearly God speaks to him in a way that God's not speaking to me. Clearly he has the faith. He has faith that can move mountains. He, he has faith that is just powerful, that is strong, that, that is just, it is inspiring and almost infectious to other people. Paul said that if I had faith, that I could move a mountain. If I had that kind of faith, that a mountain would move because I believed or I said it. He said, but do not have love. Wait a second, Paul. Hold on, Paul. Are you saying this isn't important? No, 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 no. It's important. I'm just saying it's incomplete. I'm saying faith is absolutely important. Prophecy and knowledge is important. Speaking in, in, in other languages so these people could hear the gospel, it's all important. Having those gifts, having those abilities, they are all incredibly important. But if that's all you have, you've fallen short. You've come up short. Because if you had all these things but do not have love, he says, I am nothing. And because he's trying to soften the blow, he's saying I. But really, he's saying you, me, we, us, are nothing. That little Greek word there is uthen. I want you to say that with me, even though you're sitting at home. I want you to say it with me. People around you might think you sound nuts, but it's okay. We all do weird things. I want you to say uthen. You ready? Uthen. <clears throat> you know what you are? You're uthen. You may be the Bible answer man or the Bible answer woman. You may be able to, to pray prayers that are so spellbinding. You may have this ability to speak in other languages, even the language of angels. You may have faith that is so powerful and so strong and so infectious that you can move a mountain. But if you have all of that and you don't love, you're uthen. It's meaningless. You're nothing. It's no good because it doesn't do anybody else any good. You see, going back to last week, it's like you lack purpose because your experience isn't enough. Your knowledge isn't enough. And then in this next session, in this next session rather, it says, and not even your public demonstrations of religion are enough to move God. Saying, hey, hey Christians, if, if you're content in making a point, but you're never willing to make a difference, which is harder, 
Do you think for a moment that your heavenly father is impressed with you? You're not a good Jesus follower. It's, it's nothing. And then this whole chapter is all full, full of hyperbole, but he goes on and he makes this just absolutely incredible statement, this illustration. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor, and we're thinking, surely that's a good thing. See, yeah, I, I want you to look at it a, a little more. He's, he's saying this isn't like, like habitual giving. This isn't like percentage giving that we ask you to do or, or, or to, to sign up to be like an automated giver so it, it comes out continually. This isn't that kind of giving. He's saying if I take everything I have and I make like a big, like audacious kind of gift where I kind of send out flyers and invitations and I post it on, on my social media, hey, come here at noon and watch what Jim's going to do. Watch what I have planned for today. And all these people come and gather and they watch me as I give all my gifts away because it's really about me being recognized. It's about people thinking that I'm generous. If I do the most generous thing in the world, if I give all that I own away to the poor, if I give all that I possess away to the poor, and then he, he takes it one step further and this really kind of breaks the realm of reality for us. He says, I give over my body to the hardship that I may boast. And in some of your translations, it may read a, different, a little differently. It may say, and if I give my body to be burned, there's this little Greek thing going on there, which essentially means this, that if I were to, 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 to then sell myself into slavery, if I were to take my body and to sell me into slavery and take the money that I earned from that and give that away as well, like it's not enough that I give all of my possessions away, but then I give my body away. I sell my body and I take the money and I give that away to the poor. <clears throat> so that I may base, boast, so that people can look at me and think, look how generous Jim is. Look what he did. Look, like nobody's made that kind of gift before. Nobody's been that generous. I mean, it's hard enough to give away the things we own, but to give away our bodies as well, to sell ourselves into slavery so that we can benefit the poor, surely that's enough. And Paul would say, but if I do all that and do not have love, I gain Nothing. There's a different Greek word here for nothing. This is Udin. He's basically saying no matter what you do, no matter what you know, no matter what you've experienced, if there is not some part of you where you're kind of mating, waiting rather into the messes of somebody else's life, of other people's lives, then you are Udin and you are Uthin. You are nothing, you are worthless, and your faith has no value because it's all about you. It's like, man, I, I, I have, haven't had my quiet time in six weeks, but you know, this is the beginning of the year and, and, and I've, I, I've been faithful and I've been reading and it's been like, you know, 18 days and 19, 20 days and I, I've been faithful. I've given that 15 minutes. Like, like, God, have you seen what I've done? And, and, and that's awesome. And you should do that all the time. This shouldn't just be a beginning of the year. You should be in a relationship with God all the time, reading and praying and spending time with him. But, but we make it like it, it, it's all about me. God, have you seen what I've done? Have you seen that I was willing to wake up early so that I could read and say a few things in prayer and ask for a bunch of stuff and then go on my way? Like, God, have you seen what I've done? Yeah, but it, it, aren't you still in it for you? Isn't that about you? And aren't your prayers about your kids or your grandkids or your family? He's saying, that's awesome. I don't want you to stop doing any of that stuff. I want you to pray. I want you to tell me what's on your heart. I want, me to tell me, I want you to tell me about your needs. But if this relationship, if your faith stops there, what good is it? I mean, it's good. And really, it's good for something. But really, what it's good for is nothing. 
So when we look at these verse, verses and we think about, you know, giving our bodies over to, vo- to boast or the tongues of men and angels, it all sounds kind of, kind, kind of, kind of a little weird to us. It's very, very first century-esque. <clears throat> so here's what we've done. We're going to present the words to you written, like if it were written for our day, for 21st century, for our culture. Here's what the scriptures would look like. If I raised perfect children and maintained the perfect schedule and maintained my ideal weight but do not have love, I am nothing more than a leaf blower at 6.30 on a Saturday morning. You might be laughing at that, but that's true. We all hate that. Notice, this isn't actually from the Scripture. This is the JCV version. This is the Journey Church version. How about saying it this way? If I drive an electric car and and I wear Toms and decline any coffee that isn't fair trade but do not have love, I am nothing more than an obnoxious ringtone in a crowded movie theater. We all hate that. If I take my family to the Holy Land and leave New Testaments in every room along the way, but do not have love, I am nothing more than a middle school girl's playlist. Here's the point. Devotion to God does not stop at moral perfection. Devotion to God doesn't stop at sinlessness. Devotion to God doesn't end with, I have a clear conscience. Devotion to God isn't measured in terms of, God, I I made it through the whole day and I didn't sin. God, I made it through the whole day and I didn't look. God, I made it through the whole day and I didn't stop at the cubicle. God, I made it through the whole day and I didn't smoke. God, I made it through the whole way and I didn't have a drink. God, I I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. Aren't you proud of me, God? I didn't. It's not, your devotion to God isn't based on, but God, I did. You know, I I did wake up 15 minutes early and look what I did. I did go and do this. God, I did and I did and I did. Paul says, do all of that stuff. All of that's important. You should pray and you should read. You should avoid making unwise decisions. You should avoid destroying your morality. That's all great. But that's the introduction. That's the setup. Because, because if you make you a better you, but it goes no further than you. You're nothing more than an annoying version of you. Because if you make you a better you, but it goes no further than you, you're nothing more than an annoying version of you. And I know that's hard, but this is from the guy who took Judaism to Judaism. And this is from the guy that knows And he was so right. God allowed him to write about half of the New Testament. He knows what he's talking about. He's going, hey, look, you've got to put your devotion in motion. It's not good enough to keep it all about you. It's not good enough that it remains all about you. Christian, you've got to put your devotion in motion. This is the essence. This is what we do as Christians. Devotion to God is authenticated by love for others. Your devotion to God, this vertical relationship with you and God, is authenticated by your devotion for others, this very horizontal thing. And so much time we spend, God, am I good? God, am I good? God, am I good? And God's saying, are you? Are you good with others? Have you loved people? Do you care for them? Does your heart break for them? Like, Like, yes, you and I are good, but what about you and everyone else? Now, if you're not a Christian, I want you to pay attention to this because this is the issue. This is where where we owe you an apology. This is probably why you left your church. This is where many of you uh, unintentionally, or rather many of us unintentionally got it wrong. We didn't do this on purpose. It's it's really how we were raised. It's what we were taught. We were raised in some kind of Christian community where it's all about being good, right? Where it's all about being sinless. And it's all about not having any bad habits. It's all about how am I doing? 
But how am I doing, God? And we go to bed at night and we say a prayer and we ask God to forgive us for our sins and then we try to think of all these things that we've done wrong throughout the day. And God, God, how am I doing with you? Am I good? Have, did I cover all my sins? I'm not even sure if I covered all my sins, so I'm just going to say, God, forgive me of all my sins because I don't even know what, what I've done, God. But I want to make sure that I'm good with you. God, are we good? That's what it's like. You say, God, please forgive me. I didn't mean to do that. And I, and I, and I, I, I. And God's saying, oh, okay, we're good. We're good. But all we ever talk about is you. He's like saying, here's the deal. When our faith goes no further than our private internal devotions, when our faith goes no further than, God, how am I doing? When our faith stops at my attempt to, to be more godly, our message to the world is this. We know it all, and we're better than you all. We know it all, and we're better than you all. We, we, do, we know it all. We wouldn't go there. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't say that. We wouldn't stop by her house. We wouldn't go by that cubicle. We wouldn't put that in our, in our bodies. Our bodies are the temple. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't say those things. We wouldn't do those things. We, we wouldn't. We know more than you all. We know more. Therefore, we're better than you all. I'm telling you, listen, this is huge. And, and I don't have time to, to go into this to, to, to the ex extent that it needs to go in, into, but Jesus was irresistible. Jesus, he really was irresistible. Anything that you're resisting about Jesus, my guess is it's really more about us than it is about Jesus. Because who would resist grace? Who would resist forgiveness? Who would resist, uh, no matter where you are, we're going to start there and we're going to begin taking baby steps. No one would resist that. But I'm telling you, somewhere along the way we got confused and we started saying that our devotion to God is measured in terms of only how am I doing? Am I breaking any bad habits? Is my life all together? Am I doing good? It's me, me, me. And when it ends there, our, world, our message to the world is basically this. We know it all. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't go there. We wouldn't say those things. We, we, we don't want to be like that. We want you to actually fix it. Go get it right and then come. We want you to be a part of us, but not yet. Go fix that first and then come be a part of us. And it'll be fun. We'll hang out. You can come be a drag just like the rest of us. But who in the world would be attracted to that? That's why Paul said, yes, it's good and it's important, but it's just not enough. And if your faith, if your experience with God, if your Christianity ends there, it's Udin and it's Uthan. Now, I'm going to try to look at this from a different angle and then we're going to wrap up. Here's a question. What are you most grateful for? When you think about God, what are you most grateful for? We, really have, we have two choices and here's the first one. This is God's sinless perfection. Right? I'm just, God is, is sinless. He never, he never sinned. He never did anything wrong. He's perfect. And I'm just so happy about that. Because when I mess up in my life, I can look and I can see that God never messed up. When I've fallen into temptation and I sin, I can look at Jesus and see, even though he was tempted, he never sinned. And when I think about God, when I think about faith, when I think about knowing him and loving him and, and doing what he's asked me to do, the most important thing in the world is God's sinless perfection. The truth is no one says that. We're all happy for that. We all love that God is perfect. We all love that he's sinless. We all love that he can't do wrong. But that's not what we're grateful for, especially when you consider part two. What we're really most grateful for is God's sacrificial intervention. It is. 
that's what we write songs about. It's what we sing about. It's what moves us to tears. It's that thing that kind of lights us up on the inside. Not that God was always sinlessly perfect, but that God decided to wade into our mess. That what broke God's heart was that we, men and women, we sinned, we made mistakes, and we couldn't figure it out. We couldn't get back to God. So God looked at us, his heart completely broken, and he decided to wade into the mess. It wasn't good enough for him just to look and see. It wasn't good enough for Jesus just to believe and look down and say, hey, you guys really screwed up. Click. No, Jesus got involved. Jesus did something. That was the demonstration of love. He authenticated his love for us, not by believing, but by doing. And he came and he waded into our mess, sinlessly perfect, and paid the debt for our sin. He took on our burden and he offered us grace and forgiveness. That's why we do and not just believe. Because God so loved the world that he looked down brokenhearted and was willing to send his only son so that if we believed in him, whoever believed in him would be forgiven and have life with the Father in heaven. So your devotion to God is authenticated to God and to others by your love for others. Your devotion to God, this very vertical thing, is authenticated and shown to the world. This is the way we prove that we're Christians, by our love for one another. It becomes very horizontal. God, how am I doing? How am I doing? God says, you and me, we're all set. How's your neighbor? How's your friend? How's that person you know in the hospital? Have you gone to the prisons? How are those people in that country that, that are just breaking your heart? Are you good with them? Here's a question for you. What if this had been the posture of the church for over 2,000 years? What if since when Jesus died and was resurrected and went back to the, to the Father, what if that was our posture for over 2,000 years? I'll tell you what, people would not have resisted us the church wouldn't feel broken and fragmented and in disunity. But if our eyes weren't on us and how are we doing and how's my devotion and my relationship, and I don't care about them, God, but I care about me and you, how are we doing? But if our thought was, no, 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 this devotion to God is authenticated by my love for other people, by my love for those around me, and we actually got involved. We didn't just look and we didn't just believe because it's not enough just to believe. But we saw and we believed and we did. If that was our posture, the world would be changed. Nobody would resist that. Nobody would resist a church that offered forgiveness and grace. No one would resist a church that said, it's here for you. No matter what you look like, no matter what you wear, no matter how you smell, this place is for you. No one would resist that kind of grace and that kind of mercy and that kind of love. So open and so gracious. Well, people find it very easy to resist is when you and me and when all Christianity when we look at the world and we say, no, but we know it all. And we're better than y'all. You need to stop. And you need to start. And when you do, then you can come be a part of us. You see, that's very easy to resist. Making a point is easy. Making a difference is hard. But it is so worth it in the end. If that's how we interpret following Jesus, if, inter if following Jesus is all about this, and not about this, 
Paul, Jesus, James, the brother of Jesus, would all say, you are Uden and you are Uthen. You're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing. Because it doesn't do anyone any good. So don't you want to be that kind of Christian? The truth is, I, I know you do. We all do. We all want to be the kinds of Christians that care about the things we believe. We want to be that kind of church. That's why we started this church, to be a church that did the things that we actually believed and we cared about. And I believe you want to be that way. Which brings us full circle to our, the question we started this series with. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? What are you willing to put into motion? Are you willing to put your devotion into motion? Are you willing to take the things that you believe, the things that you know, the things that you speak about and actually begin to do something about them? Are you willing to take a step outside of your comfort zone to show people that you believe and you'll do what you believe? Are you willing to give something up? Because the truth is, once, once we know what breaks our heart and we begin to kind of wade into that and say, well, I've, got, I've got to do something. And I'm not, I'm not telling you you've got, you got to quit your job but you're going to have to quit something. And I'm not telling you you're going to have to give money, but my guess is you're going to have to give more than you've given before. And I'm not telling you it's going to cost you all of your life, but my guess is it's going to cost more of your life than you've put into it before. What breaks your heart? If you're willing to walk that out, if you're willing to answer that question and say, now what do I do? You're going to find a purpose. You're going to find an active love that cares for people where they are, how they are, but you're not willing to leave them that way. Jesus taught in unmistakable terms that doing is so much better than just believing. And that if our faith ends there, if our faith simply ends with believing, then we've come up short. All those things are great. All those things are important. We should read. We should pray. We should be in devotion to God. We should believe. We should want to know, God, how are we doing? We should want those things. We should be able to, to pray incredible prayers. We should have faith that inspires. We should be, have answers to questions and study and know theology. We should be able to pray and speak in languages for other men so that they can hear the gospel too. We should do all of those things. But if that is all we do and we do not love and we never put our faith, what we believe into action, then we've come up short. You see, it's not simply believing that changes the world. It's doing. So what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? Are you willing to do something about it? When you do, what you will discover, what many of us have discovered, is that our, our resolutions really become solutions to someone else's problems to something in the world that needs to be changed, to some problem in the world that God has been looking to solve, and he moved your heart, he put something on your heart that it would break so you could offer a solution to someone else's problem. What breaks your heart? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so incredibly thankful 
for, for the, this passage of, of text, God, that first of all, that it has been preserved, that we have these incredible words from the Apostle Paul. God, who, who understood that our faith, it wasn't good enough simply to believe, it wasn't good enough simply to know, God, but we have to do something about it. That faith without works, faith without actions, faith without doing, God, it's like it's dead. It's Uden and it's Uthen. I pray for all of us, God, that hear this message God, if we're sitting at home in our living rooms, if we're sitting around the table, if we're listening to it on our way to work, if we're listening to it while we're exercising, God, wherever we are right now, I pray that you would begin to move and shake our heart. God, that it would be so unmistakable when we begin to ask ourselves what breaks our heart that we would have an answer immediately. Here's what it is. Here's what breaks my heart. Every time I think about it, it breaks my heart. Every time I hear about it, I can't stop talking about it. And then I pray you would give us the wisdom to begin to take that next step. Now, what do I do? I pray, God, that it wouldn't be good enough for us to simply believe, but that we would do as well. Give us the wisdom to see it and the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Be safe. Have a great week.